0: Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of The Scouting Report. I am your host, Blythe Brumleave, and I run a website called BonjourWithBlythe.com, and it's essentially an entrepreneur's journey on the wins, the losses, and sort of everything in between. Now with this show in particular I've sort of been transitioning into this show uh, for the last few episodes now if you've been hanging with me thanks thanks for for hanging with me and if this is your first time here this show what I like to do with it is I sort of like to to use my own personal everyday workday experiences and try to translate those into a methodology or really just tips that you can take. From the wins and losses that I I have personally experienced, and and develop those into your own strategy and how those could potentially help your own business. And I, I like to mix in a few you know personal stories, one or two of those each episode as well. Um, so that's exactly what you'll find in this episode in particular. So to just sort of lay out the roadmap for for this episode in particular. Is we're going to talk about Facebook getting fined forty million dollars for their inflated video views, and, and you know the, the the positive flip side of what you can take from that. Also, uh, I want to get into losing a big client and how you can prepare yourself to uh, avoid that in the future because that is uh, personally what I'm I'm dealing with at the moment, and uh, it's not fun. Um, but there are also, there there are a lot of lessons I think that a lot of people can take from that, especially if you're out there working in the freelance or, or the digital nomad landscape. Uh, you probably know this story as well, uh, or not my personal story, but you, you probably know the pain of losing a client and sort of that initial shock of what the fuck am I going to do? Um, so that's what I've been dealing with over the past couple weeks. Uh, but a little bit of a positive, uh, flipping that in that loss into a positive Um, so hopefully you can take some some information and and use it in in your business strategy in the future also you know so some fun stuff what I'm what I'm reading what I'm watching uh, what I'm listening to and and maybe you can find some value in that as well and then also one of my personal stories uh, is definitely uh, has to be visiting Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Uh, So we're going to dive into all of that on this show. So if any of that is of interest to you, be sure to hit up bonjourwithblythe.com. You can find all of the show notes for this show. Every single story that I talk about, I include a link to those stories and to some additional reading material if that is of interest of you. So make sure that you, you visit bonjourwithblythe.com, hit that subscribe button, and then you will get all of this information right into your email inbox, and then uh, you won't be missing a thing. And if you wanted to read you know, more into something, uh, th- then the links are right there, and I, I make it hopefully as easy as possible for you. So let's go ahead and dive into our first story, and that's Facebook getting fined $40 million over inflated view counts. Now, $40 million sounds like a lot of money to the majority of us, right? But for Facebook, it takes about 16 hours for them to earn $40 million. And I actually had to look that up. Yes, it takes 16 hours for Facebook to earn $40 million. They Earned 22 billion in profits last year. So this fine, that while significant to the majority of us, whenever you hear that number initially, it's a drop in the. It maybe is a drop in the bucket uh, to, to Facebook's uh, team. But to to sort of back up and explain why they were fined this this amount of money, this drop in the bucket. So Facebook for a while ago, and especially if you're familiar in the digital marketing landscape, then you probably heard of the phrase pivot to video. And I'm using air quotes here. And that pivot to video happened probably predominantly in, in 2016 and 2017, where you saw a, a massive influx of brands moving their video strategy. You know, video the wave and, and that's where we got to go. We got to put all of our money into video. And while video is extremely important, I'm actually recording uh, you know a YouTube video in conjunction with this audio-first podcast, but video is huge for search engine rankings. Um, it's huge for viewer engagement, uh, so I like to, to to push video a lot, but. And relative to this story, you had entire companies, entire media companies moving all of their video strategy to Facebook, where they were creating content specifically for Facebook. Facebook invited a lot of media companies, invited a lot of brands to come on their platform and to make content exclusively for Facebook. And they were promised a lot of things, uh, They, they were not necessarily exclusivity, but they were promised uh, prominence within the timeline, within the the, the feed, the algorithm of, of when you're producing content. And whenever, and I'm sure for anybody out there who's ever posted a video to Facebook, uploaded directly to the platform, because that's a difference, not just posting a link from a video, but uploading a video directly to Facebook, or perhaps you've done some live streams, you may have noticed that, wow, I am getting a ton of of views on this and and it it happened to me personally but Facebook has was essentially caught with their hand in the cookie jar because they were inflating those video numbers by as much as nine hundred percent. Nine hundred percent and when you have that Pivot to video strategy, you have a, a, a couple brands, not a couple but a lot of brands that built entire media departments around those inflated numbers so there was uh, when this when this judgment came down. I think it was last week, you had a lot of executives uh, in charge of content for major media publishers. We're talking Vox Media, College Humor, which no longer exists largely in part because of this, This you know, they, they, they put a lot of their budget into video. And we have an instance where these executives are shining a light on their initial video views and then come to find out those video views were false. And the way that they were falsified is because if you're scrolling through your timeline and you happen to see a video, the audio doesn't have to be on. You don't have to actually click on the video. You don't have to engage with it, but simply from scrolling through your timeline, and if you happen to stop for three seconds, then that counted as a view. Now, naturally, with a lot of these videos, they were getting, I think it was a Vox Media executive, he tweeted out that they were regularly getting 30 to 40 million views on their videos. All of the videos that they uploaded to Facebook, they were getting an average of 30 to 40 million. It, it was pretty standard. A lot of their videos, too, that he tweeted out that they were getting over 100 million. So you can understand why these companies would see these kind of numbers and then just want to continue to produce more content and 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 push it to Facebook because it's almost like a gold rush, right? It's almost like a it's a get rich quick scheme. And so for a lot of these brands, I think it was uh, Mike in particular, I- Mic, uh, that company largely created an entire video department, devoted all of these cash or all of this budget to pivoting to video and putting it exclusively on Facebook and it's largely why they went out of business and it's largely why you know Vox media uh has struggled as they have they they've I think they've recovered better than, than most companies but but college humor they there was one of the uh content creators because that's more of like a you know a, a comedy driven brand so college humor had a great thread on this too on Twitter where they talked about how they had great traffic coming to their website. And when the pivot to video strategy started, they started putting their videos directly on Facebook and their website traffic plummeted. And so you it, it's a dangerous precedent that Facebook set and it put a lot of companies in in peril. Some of these companies went out of business specifically because they pivoted to video and specifically because they, they only focused on Facebook. And... Now they're, I mean, they're getting fined forty million dollars. But like I said, they, they, they. I think most. I think it's fair to say that most of us know that Facebook doesn't really have a moral compass when it comes to who they're going to take money from or who, how they're going to get fined. And and this was uh, largely attention driven. They Facebook wants more people on their platform, and they they want them to stay there. They don't want them to leave. Uh, I think that's why you 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 see a, a that's I don't think I know this is why you see a discrepancy of of uh, the engagement whenever you post a photo to Facebook just a photo you'll see significantly more engagement with a photo than if you say here's you know a link to one of my YouTube videos or here's a link to my website it's going to dramatically decrease when you're taking a link that sends traffic away from Facebook. So a lot of these companies, they invested a lot of time, a lot of money, and and now a lot of them are out of business essentially because of it. Uh, So knowing that and knowing how much these companies invested based off of lies, based off of an inflated video numbers, remember up to 900%. And Facebook is only essentially getting fined for uh, 16 hours of work. So it, it doesn't seem sort of fair at all. Um, but I think it's also shining. I, I think one positive that you can get out of this is that now, I, I think it's much more widespread widespread and and known of what counts as a view and how you should treat a view and how it translates to other platforms and and I, I did a little research for the show surprised <laughs> I should be doing research for every show which I do um, but I, I I wanted to dig into what counts as a view on other social media platforms now Facebook IGTV Instagram feed videos and Twitter all count a view at three seconds and the audio doesn't even have to be turned on. Now, as somebody who is, I I, I don't want to say skeptical, but I go through sort of a, a love-hate relationship with social media and um, for me personally, I have seen great success from building a website and from investing in SEO. Social media is, is one of those things where you have to go where the people are. And and when you hear numbers like that, it's incredibly frustrating because you do spend as a marketer or as an entrepreneur, um, anyone that's trying to get the word out about their business or about what they offer it's incredibly difficult because you're fighting for attention. And when you, it feels like you're getting a significant amount of more attention on one platform than another, it can be very easy to say, well, I'm just going to put all my eggs in, in this basket. Uh, and, and that is exactly what you should not do. Um, Diversification, diversification, diversification. That is what you should be doing no matter what kind of business you're in. Um, So Facebook, IGTV, uh, Instagram feed videos, and Twitter, they all count a view at three seconds. Remember, audio doesn't have to be on. Uh, For YouTube, you have to be watching a video for 30 seconds for it to be counted as a view. But their algorithm is, is a little funky in that sometimes they know that you're going to be watching the same video over and over again. So the the, the water is a little murky in, in that regard because it's not exactly clear if YouTube counts that rewatch as an additional view. It, it only counts the first 30 seconds as a view. And, and you can kind of test this yourself. I, I read about a good experiment that if you post a video to YouTube, what you should then do is open a browser up in private mode or, or incognito mode and you should then watch the video and see how long it takes for you to watch that video in order for it to count as a view. Now, a lot of marketers have run the same exact experiment and the average is 30 seconds, which is good, uh, from a YouTube standpoint, especially because YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet. So you, you, you wanna, if you, are creating content and you don't have SEO as like the first barrier of entry before you create a piece of content, then first of all, what are you doing? You're missing out on a ton of, of potential revenue uh, or potential brand awareness simply by focusing on, on a, an SEO first mindset. Uh, but for YouTube in particular to have a view count as 30 seconds shows as as intent from a visitor to to figure out what you got going on and if you're either going to be entertaining or inspiring or if you're going to be solving a problem that that user has one encouraging note that I did find and I literally found it, you know, probably 10 minutes before I hit record uh, because I couldn't find any numbers anywhere about TikTok and TikTok has sort of taken the world by storm over these last few months and and I was watching a really great video uh, from Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk, and if you listen to the show, you know I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk but he says that with TikTok in particular, while everybody else is or while most adults it is very, it, right now it is a, a younger demographic for TikTok, but for their video clips, 15 seconds, you have to watch the entire clip for it to count as a view. And Gary Vaynerchuk has been big about jumping on with apps like these that that sort of rise really quickly to the top rankings of app stores jumping on board with those apps very quickly and adopting it, not sitting around debating whether or not you should get on those platforms, but figuring out how to tell your story on a new platform that's hungry for content creators. Now, if you remember the early days of Instagram or the early days of Twitter, um, even email marketing, uh, there was th- this insane engagement rate that started when when those products were first adopted, and that's what we're seeing now with TikTok. Is is they're hungry for creators. And they're hungry for people creating content directly on their platform. So if, if you're somebody that's been sort of wavering on, you know, do I jump in on on TikTok or not? Uh, i really doing research for this video or for this podcast. That was something that really stood out to me that said, okay, well, I now need to make a TikTok and I need to figure out how to tell my brand story on that platform because you you are in the words of Gary Vee you're you're campaigning for attention and if the attention is going into certain platforms that's where you need to be and if you can seize a gold rush of opportunity like with TikTok where they're looking for content creators then you can grow a lot more quickly on a platform like that versus Instagram if you were just to start a new Instagram today you are in a very very crowded market you are a small fish in a big pond whereas you know a platform like tiktok or any other social media platform that comes along in the future you can you have the chance for early adoption to be that big fish in a little pond but i think you know, sort of going back to the original story of, of with Facebook in particular, finding all of these people that have, you know, put all of their eggs into into the Facebook basket a few years ago with the pivot to video strategy is is you don't don't put all of your eggs into one basket, not on a platform you don't own. You always want to be conscious of how am I telling my brand story that is native to that particular network, to that particular audience, and then how do I drive that traffic back to a property that I own? And the only properties you're ever going to own online is your website and your email list. So if you're not building up that traffic and building up that brand awareness to get more people to come to a property that you own that you can then sell them on, well, now you can subscribe to my email newsletter. In, or now you can purchase my info product. Uh, that's that's where you kind of want to be uh, always one step ahead of the game. Don't sit back and debate on the legitimacy of these platforms. Just go there, try it out, experiment, and then you can take those storytelling lessons into the next platform that will eventually show up because there's always going to be a next platform that shows up. And I think there was another really good uh, quote from that too, and, and it's also... Uh, it's what i like to do with my own content and that's called repurposing so with repurposing i can i can record a good example for this is i can record this entire show i can record it on audio format and then i can also record it on video format and then from both of those formats i can splice it up I can cut it up into segments or one minute video clips, and then I can upload those videos directly to that social media platform of choice. Or I can figure out another way that my distribution strategy, it goes back to, to that as well. I can go back to my distribution strategy and figure out, okay, well, how am I going to tell the story on TikTok? How am I going to tell the story on Instagram stories? Uh, how can I make it so that my content is is one of those that when when somebody sees that I've posted an Instagram story, how do I make sure that I am delivering value to that audience? So it's not just for that story, but when they see me post again, they want to engage with that again. Uh, so it's almost like a long term investment strategy, but you're investing in attention. And I think that that's where a lot of people miss the mark. Bringing it back to you know that all of these companies that invested so much into one platform don't do what they did because Facebook made a shit ton of money from all of those companies pivoting to video and using their platform. And now they're getting fined for essentially lying to, to a lot of people. And we all know there's there's big trust issues with the platform itself, but they keep growing every day and and it's still a platform that you can use to your advantage. But If you go to, if you diversify and you distribute your content across a variety of different platforms, there's less risk involved if say, uh, you know, something like this happens again where your views or your numbers or your strategy uh, are inflated by as much as 900%. And so that leads me into uh, my next topic because uh, it's honestly, it's been a little rough and that is uh, losing big client. Now, if you follow me for a little bit, you know that I have been doing this. Uh, I don't. I, I freelance, remote work, digital nomad lifestyle. Um, but I've also been building my business into where I have retainer clients. And my first big retainer client uh, has just recently decided to uh, go another way. And they've hired internally. Not going to say who the client is because obviously uh, I, I, I don't want to release that. But I was, I, I remember first, they were my first big client that I got when I first went out on my own. So in a sense, they've been a huge blessing to me. Uh, they've also been a little bit maybe of a hindrance because I did have such a big client. So I didn't have to, I, w- I was so busy with them that I didn't focus enough on getting more customers and diversifying that customer base. And I just found out probably, um, I would say less than 10 days ago, uh, actually the night before I was leaving to go out of town on a vacation, that they were hiring internally and uh, that they would no longer need my services. And I would say that it... I, I mean, I'm trying to be careful here with, with how I describe this. And it's, I, I've sort of always felt a little insecure about them being my client. Because, I mean, we're, we're talking about a company that is 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 based locally where I'm from in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, but also has offices nationwide. And I almost felt like for a while that they were too big for me or I was too small for them. Now, I have a dedicated marketing services team that I work with. I have a dedicated developer team that I work with. And I am essentially the chief strategist and and project manager for all of my retainer clients. And then anybody who isn't on a retainer who who needs, you know, a, a just a, a one-off project here or there, I'm happy to help there too. Um, but I've always felt a little insecure about this particular client because I've Sort of felt like they needed to hire a big agency. They needed to hire somebody internal. And 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 while they're not hiring a big agency, I still think they probably should. Um, but they are hiring internally as far as development wise. And and but with me in particular, it, it, it's a one woman show here. W- w- what you see is what you get. Um, and I I know that this is probably the better decision for them to make as far as like you know hiring internally and. But with this situation in particular, I was lucky in that the person who hired me ended up leaving this company earlier this year. And so when I knew that she was leaving, I said to myself, it was more my reality check earlier in the year. And I said, I got to diversify my client base. I can't risk losing one client. And then that put me out of business because if... This company would have decided to go in another direction earlier in the year. I probably would be out of business right now. Um, but they did cho- choose to stick with me through their hiring process and through hiring, you know, a, a, a new uh, marketing manager and and stuck within that new marketing manager did stick with me for quite some time. Um, but anytime new leadership comes in within a company, there there's going to be uh, there, there's going to be some changes, and, and I completely understand that because, as somebody in a leadership role, you kind of want to bring in your own people, right? Like you, you have a certain way that you like doing them, right or wrong, and you want to have your own thing and and sort of make your own mark. and And I that's really where this situation has led me because they have decided to go in another direction. and And I remember hearing this piece of advice over the summer because when the old marketing manager did leave, I said to myself, well, you know, I have to diversify. And I started making investments uh, in technology, in workflows, in automation, like all of that. just, it sounds so boring, but it really has been something that's been a blessing in disguise because even just a couple months ago, I'm questioning myself, like, why am I investing so much time and energy into this? Like money is good right now. I I, I shouldn't have to worry, but as I've heard before, the day that you get a new client is the day you start losing them. And if you have that mindset going in, like obviously you never want to lose a client, right? But there's always going to be the, you know, a grass is greener on the other side, or I can do it better myself, or maybe, you know, that this is an instance where, you know, they, they, they need to hire a bigger agency. They need to hire somebody that's internal that can get something done, you know, in less than 48 hours, which is usually our, our turnaround. Usually it's about 24 hours, to be honest. Um, but I usually like to say 48 to, to 72 business hours is when any kind of uh, I- any kind of new addition or support ticket will be taken, uh, w- will be handled. Um, so that it, sometimes speed is very important to a lot of businesses, and and um, I'm I'm hoping that they achieve that with their new person. Uh, but it still sort of left me feeling. I mean, going back to that insecurity is, is, is I think was almost a stronger suit of mine because I prepared and I was lucky enough that I saw the writing on the wall and prepared for this exact thing to happen. Now it's still a a, a gut punch. No one wants to get that kind of news, especially the night before. I mean, I literally got this news hours before I was going out of town and, uh, god it's just so just whatever um still like having a plan in place now for this uh this migration to happen into uh, trying to, to keep this relationship uh, in in good standing. I, you know, I'm, I'm the type that I never want to burn any bridges and I'm never going to leave a, a company stranded. Um, so I am helping essentially train my replacement. Um, and it's just, it, it's just, it's a, you know, I, I know a lot of businesses wouldn't do that, but I, I, I'm trying to put myself in their position and that's what I, I I think you kind of have to do as a marketer is is you have to put yourself in position or of the companies that you're helping because the, the the more that they grow the more that you grow and I can't change that now I can't change that philosophy now even though they've decided to move on from my services so it sucks um, it definitely is it was a little bit of a gut punch but I think you know being you know probably a week and a half removed, from the situation, I had a nice little... I'd still had a good vacation, which I'll get into in just a second. Um, but I think that, that the biggest takeaway that I wanted you guys to to, to grasp from this is do not have all of your revenue tied up into one or two clients, even a handful of clients. Like as much as I've been preaching about diversification as far as your social media strategy is concerned and your marketing strategy should be concerned, you should absolutely do that with your client base too. Um, And it's really uh, sort of knowing in the back of my head that this was going to happen for the better part of this year it's allowed me to strategize of how I want to continue doing business, things that I would like to change. And I think that the big positive for me is that I had the time to plan for this. It was still a gut punch, but when it happens, it's still good news that I have a ton of skills that I can now develop having working exclusively with that particular client, I offered them exclusivity. But now that I have all of that knowledge that I gained from working exclusively with that big company, I can now take that experience and apply it to other companies helping out other companies within that industry, and and especially on the product side of things, um, which has been in the works for a little while, and and especially when it comes to to running your own business, um, especially for a, a service business, I think it's also very very important that you diversify your income streams too, and and developing more on the product side of things, where I can not feel I guess as guilty about working with other essentially competitors of, of my clients, I don't have to feel as guilty in that regard because I'm developing products and solutions that are uh, that are for the industry it's it's not for one customer it's not for one client it's for this industry. so oh yeah that was um that it, it, I, I think I've said it five times now, but the, yeah the, the the gut punch was real but the good news there's always a little bit of good news in this is that uh, the day after I wanted and needed this vacation the entrepreneurial work obsessed person in me I took my computer with me on vacation but I ended up promising myself I'm not going to open my computer once unless it's an emergency. And I kept that promise because I wanted that break. I needed that break. And without it, I don't know that I would have this now, this clarity to move forward with sort of a a reignited passion for the work and the lifestyle that I want to live as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer, as a digital nomad. This is is the, 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 the clarity Uh, of what I needed to move forward, which which sort of leads me to my next point, and that's Galaxy's Edge is the motherfucking shit. Let me tell you, because first, let's back up a little bit. For those who don't know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and uh, earlier this week, uh, we had a new trailer, the final trailer for the final movie of a decades-long saga being released during Monday Night Football on Carrie Fisher's birthday, like it was. I mean, the Monday Night Football game was shit. Uh, the Jets got stomped by the Patriots, of course. Uh, but in this instance, during halftime of Monday Night Football, it's sort of one of my favorite things that Disney does with one in, with, with Monday Night Football. ESPN is a Disney-owned property, and during Monday Night Football halftime. They have made a habit, I think this is their third or fourth time, where they have released a major trailer to a major movie during halftime. So what happens is that everybody is, on the internet, especially on Twitter, everybody is waiting for this trailer to drop. And then when it does drop, it's just like a feeding frenzy on, on Twitter and everybody's reacting to it. And it's, it's almost like a, it, it's like you're watching it in a room with all of your best internet friends. And it's something that I really enjoyed when they did it with The Force Awakens. Uh, they also did it with Aladdin and then they definitely did it with, uh, Rise of Skywalker trailer. Um, so. That was super exciting, and that was just a few days after I got back from visiting Disney World's new land in Hollywood Studios called Galaxy's Edge, and it's a land dedicated to Star Wars. It's uh, one of the more beautiful lands, attention to detail, that I've ever visited, and and. I think it's sort of stepping into a new realm of what theme parks can provide and the experience that they can provide. Because I chose this particular land opened up over, not, is it Labor Day weekend? Yeah, Labor Day weekend, late August, early September. Um, so it opened up over Labor Day weekend, and I didn't want to go during that. I'm a Disney annual pass holder, and I didn't want to go that weekend because, in my brain, like Star Wars is an insane property, like it's insanely popular. So I don't want to show up on opening weekend. I, I want to be able to enjoy the experience, I want to be able to get on a ride without waiting for. Four hours to do it because I I absolutely refuse to to wait longer than really an hour for any ride. Uh, Most of the time, I'm so spoiled with fast passes and and scheduling those fast passes out that if it takes longer than thirty minutes to wait for a ride, I'm out. I am not doing it. Um, So with this land in particular, I chose these dates well in advance. I started planning this trip probably around May when most of the, the the big news dropped of the exact dates that Galaxy's Edge was opening, and so. I said, okay. Well, let's go in the middle. My boyfriend and I—I i, 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 I plan the Disney trips when it when it comes to our trips um, because I know that Disney app inside and out, and I can schedule everything to where it's a it's a good day for for both of us to deal with the crowds or to avoid the crowds and to also get the best, least uh, stress free experience as possible. And so I chose mid October. I chose also the middle of the week because I didn't want to go on the weekend. And let me just tell you the, I guess the population, or not the population, but the amount of people, the crowds that they have expected for this land have uh, not been as expected, uh to to sort of compare another area to another park, uh Pandora within Animal Kingdom, you're still seeing hours long wait time for flight of passage, which is their premier ride in Pandora it is probably the best ride that I've ever been on in my life Um, so if you've never ridden it and you have an opportunity where you live close to Animal Kingdom or you live close to the Disney World properties I highly highly recommend it is a life-changing ride and you're still seeing hours-long wait time and and I think when they first opened that ride it was six hours. Was the wait time for that line? And I, who is waiting that long in line for these things, I will never know. Um, but to to compare to Galaxy's Edge, their signature ride for right now is Smuggler's Run. Is the Millennium Falcon ride. And of course, like me being a huge Star Wars fan, a, a even bigger Harrison Ford fan, um, I just cosplayed as Han Solo, for God's sakes, um, that you can find on, on guysgirl.com, one of my other websites. Uh, so obviously, like this was an absolute must for me to go. And when I tell you that you walk into this land and it is the most interactive, it's the most beautiful, it's the attention to detail, the shops that are inside. This was sort of my gripe that I would say about Galaxy's Edge is because a lot of their stores, they're so authentic to the storyboard of a true market in a, a Star Wars planet that normally with a lot of Disney stores, what you have is you have these long strips and it looks from the outside, it looks like different stores. When in reality, if you go inside, there's no the 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 stores aren't closed off. They're not separated inside from each other. Now they are decorated differently as you go from store to store, but there's no wall separating. You don't have to walk out of one store to get into another one. Galaxy's Edge is different, where you have almost like small shop owners and they're playing a role. And that's another thing about this land is that every person working within this land is playing a role. So there was an instance, and I I put it up on my Instagram stories of Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is walking around and he is surveying the property. He is surveying you in Galaxy's Edge. And it, or, yeah, Galaxy's Edge, and and he walked up to me as I'm filming him, and he's talking to a couple different stormtroopers, and he's saying, I want surveillance on this woman, I want to know where she's sending this video feed, uh, and he's in total character. There were other people that are bartenders at Olga's Cantina or in character the entire time. There There's one of the drinks that they serve inside Olga's Cantina, which is an alcoholic, not, not an alcoholic bar, but they serve alcoholic drinks <laughs> inside Olga's, and One of the guys that was standing next to me at the bar, he asked the bartender, uh, he was like, well, what's with the dry ice drink? And the bartender's like, what's dry ice? And it's clear that one of their drinks they're using is dry ice. But in character, he's not going to talk about that. He's not going to mention the ingredients in the drink unless they're Star Wars related. And one of my favorite parts and sort of like my super nerdy moment is when I finally saw Ray, And Ray is essentially... Her story for Batuu because this is the the land of where Galaxy's Edge take, takes place or the planet that that Galaxy's Edge takes place is is on Batuu and essentially Rey is surveying the landscape and getting intel and we see her character and she's hiding and she's. She's almost like a like a sniper without a weapon. Well, I mean, she has her staff, but uh, she's literally like scoping the ground, sneaking around. If you ask her a question, she's technically not allowed to answer it because she's in full character. And we were watching her, and she's running, and she's go- hiding behind you know a table, or she's peeking over a ledge, and she's watching Kylo Ren, she's watching the stormtroopers, and then she's surveying the land so she can sneak up around them and that's what I loved most about this land. We also saw Chewie too. He was in full character um repairing a ship and it, it's not like a typical, you know, other land around Disney where you know you you see a character like Donald or something and you can stand in line and then go and take a photo with him. Uh they I saw one person in particular because she was hanging behind a table and kind of hiding. And there were people sitting at the, at a different table just a few feet from her. And so what one of the guys did is that he couldn't, you know, take a smiling photo with Ray. So he went down and he's, he stood right or, you know, sort of knelt down right beside her and is peeking over and watching where she's watching. And that's how they got a picture. And you could tell that the character themselves... They know what's going on, so she probably sat there and waited for him to get the picture before she snuck off and and went somewhere else. But it was kind of thrilling to be a fan of this franchise, be a huge fan of Ray, see her in character at this land in this environment, and then you can watch, you can chase her. I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't chase her, not really. Um, followed her is probably a more appropriate term of of what happened. And I followed her just you know for a little bit, maybe like fifteen. 20 minutes? Uh, not 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 creepy at all. She didn't notice me. I wanted her to notice me. Um, I wanted to get a similar picture as that one guy did uh, but I think it was one of those just Disney magic moments where you just had to be at the right place at the right time. Um, it's a super interactive land. We also got to, to take part in the droid factory where you could go and you can build a droid. And, and how this process sort of works is that you have to make a reservation. Um, reservations are hard to come by, especially for the lightsaber area. I think that's not the droid depot. That's a different part of, of Galaxy's Edge. Um, but we signed up specifically for the droid depot. And got to go in, you can choose if you want an R2 model or if you want a BB-8 model. Uh, We chose the R2 model because, from what the person told me, even though I love bb 8 they and I mean I love R2D2 too, but I just love BB8 a little more. Um, I ended up choosing R2D2 because apparently there is these droids are so customizable and the parts that are readily available, there are more customization parts that you can get for R2D2 versus BB8 for right now. So what I did is I chose the R2D2 model and then put him in the colors because as soon as you pick the model that you want, then you go over to this conveyor belt, and they have an entire conveyor belt that's coming around with all of these different parts. And so you pick your body, you pick the head of it, and then you pick your legs. And they have all of these different color combinations, purple and red and black and white and orange. And I picked a lot of, um, my main color scheme was orange and black. So I picked that You know, to sort of model after you know, BB-8. He looks like R2-D2, but um, I'm calling him BB-2. So uh, you pick out all your parts and then you go to a little station and a Disney cast member will uh, instruct you what to do. So you literally put the, you put the droid together. You, they give you a screwdriver and like you're screwing it in or drill, I guess I don't, I don't know one of those tools. So you you drill it together. I don't want to say solder. It definitely wasn't soldering because they're not gonna let you know a five year old do that at Disney and burn themselves and then they'll get sued real quick. Um, but it was like a drill or whatever. So you put that together. Picked out a couple different accessories, and then after you're done putting the droid together, then you put it in like this activation chamber. And then after the activation chamber, they put in a little computer chip, and it's called a personality chip. And you can buy different personality chips to put into your droid so it interacts in like fun in different ways. And the best part is that you get, well, There's two best parts. So the one best part is that you get a remote control and you drive it around like a little remote control car. So you have your own droid that you can use a remote control with. And then after that, the, the employee told us that they do interact with the land as well. And so she chose to keep the droid on for me and put it in a little box, and not a little box, it's actually a big-ass box, so if you do go to the Droid Depot to get this done, make sure you go later in the day, because otherwise you're going to be carrying this big-ass box all day long, and that shit is not fun um, for all day. I was even getting a little tired of it uh, after, you know, just a couple hours, but while my little BB-2 was in the box, you could hear him like making his noises and moving around inside the box because he's interacting with Galaxy's Edge, the land. So that was that was really really fun. Uh it was uh, I would absolutely definitely go to Galaxy's Edge again, especially when their premiere ride, which is also the rumors of of why, you know, attendance has been sort of not as much as Disney expected for the land is their ride rise of the resistance, which is supposed to be a game changer as far as uh, rides are concerned, especially for, for that area of the park. And and if, if my experience within that part of Hollywood studios is any indication that this ride rise of the resistance as opens up in December, then it should be a game changer as far as rides are concerned. And, and it might be one of those uh, rides that does end up being like Flight of Passage and, and Pandora and it's going to be a six hour long wait. But if you plan your trip, you know, appropriately using every, Disney gives you so many opportunities to, to plan your trip effectively where you don't have to wait in six hour long rides or six hour long wait times. Um, you probably would barely have to wait for, you know, an hour or, you know, 15, 20 minutes is usually the most wait time that you that you'll have with a fast pass. But also going on during that time, too, was Epcot Food and Wine Festival, which is fantastic. And if you've never had an opportunity to go to their food and wine festival, it's so much fun. So many different countries are represented there. You can try food and drinks from all over the globe. And it's one of those events that I'll go to every year for the rest of my life. Like, it's that fun. So Epcot Food and Wine Festival, Galaxy's Edge, obviously were a ton of fun. And then when we got back in town, my boyfriend kind of like sat me down and after the strip and he's like, you know, I think I'm okay with uh, going to Disney only uh, once a year. And we're both annual pass holders. We haven't been to Disney World since February. So for me, I had this just sort of look of betrayal on my face. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he looks at me, he's like, well, how often would you want to go? And I'm like, all the time. I I didn't want to leave in the first place. And and it's it's sort of funny to like look back on now because at the time I was just low-key like insulted. Like how could you tell me you're only going to go once a year? Are you out of your mind? Like we're going probably – we're probably gonna go again before the end of the year, because uh, I definitely want to ride that ride of resist or rise of resistance ride. Um, but Disney World is just that place for me. It's it's the best chefs on the planet, the best customer service in the world. It's the attention to detail, not just with Galaxy's Edge, but with every other. There, Disney is always trying to push the boundaries as far as the experience is concerned. And and for me, for a long time especially during like my struggle city times, I always said, you know, I'll I'll know that I've made it when I can afford Jaguar season tickets and a Disney annual pass and I can afford them both at the same time. And when I got to that mark about a year ago, that's something that I never want to lose. And it it was almost like the pinnacle of, you know, I'll, I'll know that I've made it if I can get these two things, and I, I have those two things, and I'm 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 very fortunate to say that I I, I can budget for, you know, a couple Disney trips a year, um, but it, it's it's like a drug that I need a regular fix for, and it's it's damn near a full on process to get me to leave because on the last day, it's just, I'm, I'm very sad. I'm, I'm taking my time packing. Um, I always want to go to, you know, the, the hotel resort bar or their pool and just, you know, let's just have one more drink. And then when it's time to pack up the car, it's, let's just go to Disney Springs just for a little bit. And then we go there. And then ultimately that's when I'm, I know that it's time to actually go. It's like the little kid inside of me just comes out and, and, Um, I get just, you know, this little pouty lip the whole time, and, and it's it's not fun to leave the happiest place on Earth. And every time I leave, I always just think about the time, how much fun it's going to be to come back, and it, it's just, it, it's that place for me. And I know a lot of a lot of people probably don't understand, and you probably maybe have already clicked off of this podcast because you've heard enough of Star Wars and Galaxy's Edge talk, but now is probably a good time to get back into more of that marketing news that you're probably listening to this podcast for to begin with. Um, and and now I want to get into sort of the, the latter part of the show. Show where I talk about what I'm reading, what I'm watching, and sort of insight that you can take from that experience, or not experience, what am I even talking, see, I'm, I'm still in like the Galaxy's Edge brain right now, um, but as far as like what I'm reading and watching, this is all content that I have digested post-vacation, so I think that you will, hopefully you will find it insightful as well, considering that we're listening to a podcast right now, I wanted to share a couple factoids of a Twitter thread that I will put in the show notes so you can get the full grasp of it. But Barstool CEO, Erica Nardini, uh, she was sharing some of her insight on podcast media and advertising metrics. And she had a really great Twitter thread. I think it was like 11 tweets long of, of just basically like, Breaking down the importance of when you 're creating content, create that content for your audience you if you don 't have that intimate relationship with them you 're never going to be able to monetize in a way that 's super long lasting and and The reason that she was saying this is because she was speaking at uh, the interactive advertising bureau 's podcast up front. And she basically what, what sort of resonated with me and, and after, you know, to, to give a little background. And for those who don't know, uh, regularly every quarter here in Jacksonville, we host podcaster meetups. And the one of the top questions that we get asked at every single meetup is how do I make money? And some of these people haven't even launched their uh, a show yet, but they're already concerned about how they're going to make money. And that is the exact opposite of what you should be thinking and what what Erica sort of nailed down and, and, and why, you know, the Barstool part, all of their podcasts within their platform have been so successful is because the host and the audience have developed that intimate relationship well before they ever started selling to them. And if that relationship doesn't exist, that intimacy between you and your audience, you're never going to make a dime and i think that that can that that goes to say for a lot of content that's created online but specifically for podcasts because podcasts feel like you're inviting someone into your home to sit at the dinner table to have a discussion uh, podcasts just have that intimacy where you can it, it, and, it, and it's Also non disruptive, right? So you can do the laundry, you can cook dinner, you can do all of these things and listen to a podcast. You don't have to, unlike video, unlike, you know, reading or anything like that. You have to ignore everything else and pay attention to that medium. With podcasts, it's completely different. Like you can listen to a podcast and not have any distractions at all, or you can keep going with your daily life. You can, you know, put on a a, a podcast before you, you know, drive into work or before you really get your work day started. Uh, So, so podcasting and the growth of podcasting um, continues. to to ever evolve. There's also new data showing that more women are listening to podcasts, evening that gap and making it more lucrative for those advertising dollars, which is expected to grow by 17% in 2020. So as Erica highlights, people want to feel like they're having a conversation with someone. And so if you have that intimate relationship with your audience, then the money will come. You just don't worry about it at first. Like with this show, I'm not making a dime off this show. But I know that it's an investment in, in the future of my brand as a whole, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as, as someone who's navigating this landscape. You know, hopefully I can be that, that, that voice and, and that uh, you can relate to the same struggles that I have. At least that, that, that's really, you know, what my goal is with that. So it's just know that, that focusing on your content first will have monetization opportunities in the future. So if you want to read that Twitter thread, like I said, it, it's eleven tweets long. I didn't want to just, you know, just read a bunch of tweets during this this show. So I'll put a link to the rest of that thread in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Next up that I want to to sort of shine a light on is how to spot fake news. We talked about Facebook earlier in the show, so this uh, th- this feels like a good time to mention that they're I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that we're going to have an, another election in 2020 and just as not just specifically election related, but just general news related is becoming increasingly difficult to spot fake news, especially when you're the type of user that only reads headlines and what uh, one of the a, a local woman here, Emily Drums, who is fantastic. She's a reporter for the Florida Times Union, and I believe she's also president of the Florida Journalists. I'm blanking on the official name, but she's president of a group that represents journalists within the state of Florida. And in order to combat fake news, they have actually trademarked the phrase "fake news." So anytime the president or uh other uh, other entities try to use the term fake news what they can do is they can hit them with a cease and desist you can check out their website fakenewstm.com and i just think it's really great i think it's really great that people have seen a problem within media consumption within uh the, the news industry of of spreading propaganda and and falsified news and having a solution to it instead of just continuously bitching online about it. Like people are obviously still going to bitch online about fake news, uh, but this way you can't have a situation where like the president can use that phrase and, and call out a media organization and say that they're fake news when they're telling the truth. And and another method of how I've used to sort of combat Fake news and, and, and more, I don't want to say necessarily fake news, but just to, to find the sites that are trustworthy, that have a good rep- representation uh, or reputation, uh, is a Chromecast add on. So if you use Chromecast, the browser, then you should absolutely go and download this add on. It's called NewsGuard. And I first heard about them on the DigiDay podcast, and they brought on the executive and the founder, and he was talking about the reliability of, of just the, well, not reliability, but the growing frustration for users to try to find out which sites are telling the truth, which sites are spreading propaganda um, and, and how to weave or how to navigate through this just increasingly difficult task. And so NewsGuard has been a huge help for me because what it is, it's essentially a little shield. And you once you install the shield, Then for all of the links that you see on your Google search results, all of the links that you see on Facebook, um, or any other social media platform, it will have a a shield and the shield will either be red or it'll be green. And obviously red is bad, green is good. Um, and if you notice a red beside it, then that news organization, quote unquote news organization, uh, regularly publishes falsehoods or propaganda. And they also have a team of human, a human team, not just bots, because that's the problem with a lot of these social media networks is that they have uh, it, it's all automated and, and it's all driven by bots over what, what news can be published and what can't and it's inc- it's a huge problem for these platforms but it's a huge problem that they've created and they've largely ignored for a very long time so we've had to have third-party sources like fake news tm.com and also this newsguard chromecast add-on which it's all they call themselves the internet trust tool so if you've never heard of them and you're struggling with that uh knowing what's real what's propaganda i would highly recommend Adding NewsGuard Chromecast to your plugin, and they're not paying me to say that. I, I've just I've been using them for about six months now, and I I find it extremely valuable. And the good news is is that their human team that they work with, if you have, say you're you're running a, a media website and you fall victim to fake news and and you publish a, a, essentially the incorrect story right on your website, um, and maybe it's happened to you a handful of times. Uh, maybe you should practice, you know, good editorial structure, but uh, that's for another day. But they have NewsGuard with this Chromecast add-on. They have methods. They also have a website too, so they have a method for publishers to get back in the green. So you can go from green to red, and you can and you can also do a vice versa. So they have a plan to say. You know, it, even if you are, even if you have a red shield next to your website or next to your link, there is a clear path to get that to a more trustworthy score. If, if it matters to you and your company, um, so it's just a it, it's a way for you know regular folks like us to be able to quickly look at a headline and to know whether or not that site is trustworthy or not. So, like I said, it's been a lifesaver to me. I, I found great value in it, so maybe you will too. And the last thing I want to mention as far as what I've been watching is is something I never really thought I would say because I'm not really a fan of the big news networks. I think they're all pretty crummy. I think they all sort of follow the same business practices, just fake outrage and, and just playing on people's emotions. Um, but... One company that has really, really surprised me, especially in the YouTube game, is CNBC, CNBC, because they have been pumping out some killer business videos. And if you are a business junkie like I am, maybe you want to know, maybe you don't necessarily want to know, like, what the market is doing every day, because that's kind of a snooze fest. Um, but you want to know a, a, a little bit of background on a business. And one particular video that I just saw earlier this week. I'm somebody who works in logistics and transportation and they did a video on the business of Amazon returns. And I thought it was so fascinating because they talk about how inefficient return logistics costs everyone. The people, business, the environment. It's a huge problem. There are huge there are warehouses all across this country that are dedicated just to holding returns. That these companies can't do anything with this product and they're holding just returns. Or they're having mass liquidation sales. And remember, this is independent of Amazon. So you may have bought this item from Amazon and Amazon decides to return it, but they, they can't resell it. So what they do is they sell it to a third party. And in this third party, what they will do is they will either A, turn around and sell it online, which sometimes contains... Uh, expired food, which is a big problem right now, um, or uh, some other companies will just burn, like literally burn up all of their returns. So they talk about the business of Amazon returns and how it affects everyone. And there were a couple numbers that threw out that they threw out within the video. And right, and, and like this video is packed full of of useful information, just fascinating information. They said seventy nine percent of customers want free return shipping and it's also why amazon has purchased their own trucks which has you know sort of the the logistics landscape as is, is a little bit nervous about amazon focusing and bringing all of their shipping in house which if you learn anything about my story that I talked about earlier in the show, is uh, you y- y- you start losing you start losing a client the day that you get them, and for a lot of these shipping companies, specifically with UPS and FedEx, they have been milking that Amazon money for a long time, and now Amazon is bringing all of their shipping in house. They're buying their own trucks, they're buying their own delivery vans, and they're really focusing on uh, also the re- the reverse logistics aspect of handling returns and uh, one thing you might have noticed if you're doing you know a two-day shipping or whatever and you want to return an item is now you get the option to return it to a retailer like Kohl's and I thought that this was so fascinating because there was one of my returns that I had as of late that the only return option was to return it to Kohl's and I thought well first I'm like this well this is bullshit like I just want to return it to whoever the hell I bought it from. Like, I don't want to go into a retail store. Like, what is the, what's the goal for Kohl's to do this? And so I'm already a little annoyed that I have to go to Kohl's in order to return a package. So what I do is I walk into Kohl's and they have a dedicated desk and you hand over the package, there were two people, two people standing at the desk handling just this. I mean, we were the only people that were in there returning something um, at that moment, but it was one of those situations where it's kind of like, how does this even make sense for you guys to dedicate employees to this? Well, whenever they give you your receipt after you've returned the package, they also give you a coupon for 20% off of anything you buy in the store. And that's when it clicked for me because as they highlighted in the video there's a ton of retailers especially the, the the brick and mortar stores that are having that are struggling with foot traffic they need to get people into their stores so more partnerships like this like Amazon and Kohl's is beneficial to both so while Kohl's is benefiting from this return partnership with Amazon for right now they might not always benefit from it in the future. But for now, it's working out for both parties where the stores need the foot traffic. And if you return it in the store, it's super simple and you get a discount within the store. So it's win-win because Amazon doesn't have to handle that reverse logistics now. And Kohl's is getting foot traffic within their store. Um, There's also, I, I believe other retailers are implementing this same sort of strategy with other vendors. So UPS and FedEx have both either launched their own programs like this, where they're partnering with a retail a retailer in order to handle returns, um, but it's just it, it, it's it's a this video in particular it's it's a fascinating watch and it's just one of many videos that CNBC has been releasing that are, are quick but intriguing deep dives into modern day business. So so hopefully if you check out the show notes you'll be able to watch that full video and then maybe check out some of their other videos. Which I I honestly I, I at nighttime right before I go to bed I'll set up my I'll connect to my Chromecast pull up. YouTube, go to the CNBC channel and I'll just set up my queue and I'll watch, you know, I'll, I'll set up, you know, five or six videos of the night. They're just watching business videos and they all play in a loop and they're all really, really good. So highly advise you to, to check those out. Now let's get into the final portion of the show and, and this is where I like to talk about what's coming up next. And what's coming up next for me is uh, so I've recently signed up with CoSchedule and CoSchedule is a marketing company, it's a marketing software company that helps you distribute your content out. To all of your social media platforms, but also helps you schedule it out more regularly and frequently so it doesn't look like you're taking a vacation for a week. Um, you can still have content publishing on the regular. Um, so I felt that it was very important, especially with this come to Jesus moment that I've had over the past couple of weeks, to practice what I preach as far as my content and how often I'm recording. And after I record, what am I doing with that distribution strategy? And, and co schedule is really, uh, it, it's such a, I've, I've used them before, but I recently did it. I, I recently signed up again because their plans are a lot more affordable now. I think it's like 30 bucks a month and you get 10 social media profiles with it. But it's a also a plugin that plugs directly into a WordPress website. And the best part about it is is I can write up my blog post and then I can schedule the blog post and then I can schedule all of my social media messages right within that blog post. So it is super valuable. I mean, obviously they they, they do have a, a desktop app where you can log in and you can schedule messages manually too. But say you're writing an article and you just want to go ahead and just schedule out all those social media messages right now. Then while the content is fresh, because I, I find that I have more success rate if I schedule the social media messages immediately after I get done writing an article because then that content is fresh. Uh, the quotes are fresh. The key points within a show like this one are, are fresh. So I can really get out multiple messages on social media, uh, exclusive messaging for each particular platform. Like what I say on Twitter is not going to be the same thing that I say on LinkedIn. And, and that goes for every platform. Uh, so they really, really help out in in that regard. So I'm I'm getting more as you know the end of my 2019 goals, and especially going into 2020, I'm really going to be focusing hard on practicing what I preach when it comes from a content marketing perspective. I think as business owners, it it, it especially for for marketing agencies, uh, it becomes increasingly difficult to focus on your own content when you're Throughout the day and throughout the weeks and the months, you're focusing on your clients' content. You're focusing on their goals, and sometimes you got to take a step back and you got to you have to invest in yourself too. So it's important to to take off, you know, set aside a certain day of the week, um, maybe a couple days a month, to do batch editing, to do batch recording, to do batch social media messages, and that's what I really love about using. Schedule is is not only can you batch those social media messages to send out, you know, at at the immediate level. Months from now, they also have uh, this tool called ReQueue, which I've started to experiment with. And basically, what they do is they monitor your social media platforms. They find out what messages have performed the best. And then what you can do is you can add those to your requeue so then that way it will share that message, that evergreen content is hopefully what you're sharing. You can share that evergreen content uh, several times over the course of months and weeks. So it's not like you're flooding your audience with a bunch of messaging um, that doesn't matter to them at that time. You're, You're hopefully sharing those messages that have already resonated with your audience and you're sharing them on a regular basis because if they're resonating with a small portion of your audience, then the rest of the portion you know that 85 to 90 percent of people that didn't see that original message they're going to come back and they're going to see that message and it will has a greater likelihood that it will resonate with them as well um so practicing what i preach and then also this god dang e-store is kicking my ass i don't know if anybody has out there has launched an e-commerce store Whew, but it has been a challenge and uh but the light is at the end of the tunnel, because hopefully by November 1st, we will have a fully fledged e-store that launches on digitaldispatch.io. That is my uh, logistics and transportation website. i help build website strategy, marketing strategy, um, custom development, uh, project managers, it, it, essentially anything that's digital media related, I can help you with if, if you're in the trucking and transportation logistics space. Um, so launching an e-store to sell those products that I, or there's those services and products that I'm already selling on a manual basis right now, launching that e-store to set it up in, in a little more of an automated fashion. And, and what's been particularly tricky is not just setting up the payment systems because that's been a whole other thing, but setting up your processes, setting up your workflows. What happens when a customer purchases something from you? Um, is it subscription-based? Is it a one-time fee? Um, can you have both of those items in a shopping cart at once? Um, what does the contract look like? What do the terms and conditions look like? There's all of these little nuances that you don't really know about until you're just elbows deep. So um that is is the light. Like I said, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Looks like we're gonna hit that, you know, knock on wood November 1st deadline to get it launched to the public. Right now is still in a soft launch for my current clients and current customers. Um but uh despite the wrench of a big client leaving in the middle of while I'm working on this e store uh this looks like it's going to be very good not only for for my business but for my clients and and, and making that onboarding uh, uh more automated but also personal still keeping it personalized um but automating those workflows based off of what's been purchased um so that doesn't even include you know, getting leads through the door and having conversations with leads and and getting them, uh, you know, to trust you enough to purchase from you, especially with a a decision as as big as a website purchase. Um, But that's what I'm hoping to do with content like this is to develop that trust factor so that it has that opportunity to to generate leads for someone to go to my website digitaldispatch.io and to be able to know that hey I'm I'm going to make this purchase right now and I know she's going to take care of me um, so that was the big goal with this e-commerce site um, that I'm hoping I already you know I have like phase two and phase three plans for it already just because like once the wheels start are, are, what, what, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here but once the the it starts to click for me that's when the ideas start spewing in. So that is, um, that hopefully is going to be a big win very soon. So hopefully you gathered some insight, or I, an insider too, or maybe you found my Star Wars story entertaining, but that is it for this week's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to hit up bonjourwithblythe.com to see all of the show notes for every single episode that we drop. I put them all in a nice, pretty formatted format. And also there's a page on Bonjour with Blythe for you to submit your own questions. I want to hear from you. What are you struggling with? What are your marketing goals? What are your marketing questions? Or even your digital media questions, website, SEO, growth marketing, podcasting, YouTubing, whatever the hell it is. I want to help you. And it's free of charge. All you have to do, black.com. There is a question and answer page, not question and answer page. There's a question page where you can submit your information and I will answer questions live on this show. So it, hopefully you uh, hit that up and whenever you do visit the website, be sure to hit that subscribe option on your platform of choice. Like I said, podcasts, YouTube, social media all the good stuff, even email newsletter. It's all on bonjourwithblythe.com. Um, so you'll be notified when new shows drop, but until next time, my name is Blythe and I appreciate your time and attention. Hopefully you found some value in this. Thank you.